You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode of Into the Night is brought to you by our loyal listeners and followers. Fazbear Entertainment appreciates your viewership and those who support the show by commenting, sharing, and subscribing. If you wish to support this broadcast, please consider checking out the official merch store and Patreon for more information. This episode is a continuation of our Security Breach audiobook series. If you have not seen the beginning, you can start at episode 26, titled Security Breach, to get the full context of the series up to this point. They lied to us. They lied to all of us. They told us that the whole point of this VR game was to undo the bad PR done by a rogue indie game developer who supposedly made up a bunch of crazy stories that tarnished the brand. But that's not true at all. In their haste to develop this VR game and clear their name, they sent us some things I don't think they intended us to see, such as a hard drive containing emails between Fazbear Entertainment and a certain indie developer. Fazbear Entertainment hired the game developer. Those indie games were designed to conceal and make light of what happened. This isn't just an attempt to rebrand. It's an elaborate cover-up. A campaign to discredit everything. This is episode 28. Help Wanted. Gregory stood in front of the shuttered doors, blocking his exit with no way to break through. Repeated multiple times on the metal shutter was a printed image of Freddy, giving a positive wink as if to say, We will see you again soon. To the thousands of patrons of the Mega Pizzaplex, it must have been a cute little detail they never saw. Only people trapped inside that building, after hours, would be the only ones to see that ironic graphic. Turning around, 
Gregory faced the open lobby. Guarded by a lane of turnstiles with another metal decoration of Freddy's face on each gate, the lobby had a flux of neon rails washing the room with fluorescent light. In the epicenter of the lobby was a large golden statue of Glamrock Freddy, clearly posed mid-solo, flanked by mirrored stairs and escalated shaded by plastic palm trees. Gregory walked across the checkered granite floor to the gated entry and tried pushing through it to no avail. The gates were locked in place. Not that it would be a hurdle to get around it, the gate reached his height and it wouldn't be difficult to hop over it, but that felt too easy. There were no obvious security measures nearby, no plexiglass or security booths, nothing in plain sight that would stop a guest from entering illegally. He did recall, however, that Freddy's door would not open without an entry ticket. The doors here could somehow detect when an entry ticket entered its vicinity and grant access. A similar countermeasure could be in place here, except instead of restricting access, it could potentially sound an alarm. Freddy, it's not opening! These turnstiles require a complimentary Pizzaplex entry pass. There should be one located near the main entrance. Gregory looked back to the employee doorway. He heard them abruptly come ajar. At first he thought Chica had followed him or Monty was barreling towards him in a fury rage. To his relief and safety, it was only a row of wood floor robots rolling in unison towards the opposite end of the room. Gregory let them pass him and watched them mosey over to his staff bot, mopping a spilt cup of fizzy fast on the floor. They encircled him in perfect unison, creating an obvious do-not-cross triangle barrier for passerbys and other maintenance robots. Behind the ovioid head of the staff bot, Gregory saw an intraticket booth on the opposite end of the entryway. He stalked past the staff bot, who seemed completely focused on his task of cleaning up. He hadn't noticed him, but after he took another step close to the wall, the nearest foot floor bot pivoted to observe him. Gregory stumbled back and his motion caught the attention of not just the other wet floor bots, whom also turned, but even the staff bot. Its blank eyes stared into Gregory for a few moments. It was unreadable. Its painted face may as well have been a mask to hide all intentions. Was he reporting him to Vanessa? Was he calling another M-trunk toward him? Was he looking for his image in a company database, similar to what Freddy had tried? He couldn't tell, as the robot had been completely silent beyond the surface and his arms moving his mop around. Gregory scanned the room around him for any shift in the environment, any sudden change that would let him know that Vanessa or a Glamrock animatronic was coming for him. Clean. The mop bot, however, nonchalantly looked back down at the ground and continued his work. Gregory looked down at the wet floor bots, their bright yellow eyes still locked onto him, but beyond that, they didn't seem to notice or care about his presence. He gave a sigh of relief. He could ease himself a little to know not all the robots were after him. He appreciated Freddy's concern, but Gregory will also take negligence and apathy where he can find it from these robots. He rushed over to the kiosk and grabbed a free entry pass from an open gift box. Moving back to the turnstiles, just like Freddy's door before him, they opened automatically detecting his right to enter by some technological manner. Well done, Superstar. You have accessed the lobby. Gregory passed the dazzling golden statue, glowing and sparkling from spotlights that hung beneath a dome that went inwards towards the ceiling. Several golden triangles surround the circle outline, 
betraying a son. The dome was made of glass, and only after looking intently for a moment, one could tell that the starry sky hanging beyond it wasn't the real one. It was an illusion, just like everything in the Mega Pizzaplex. It had a bright exterior, but with one critical look, you could see the dark truth. Everything around the Pizzaplex was some manner of deception. The lobby could be best described as a tiny promenade with small shops along it. On the west side was a two-story gift shop. Behind the barricaded glass windows, Gregor could see glam rock plushies, action figures, and t-shirts. On the east side, there was a customer service room with an alcove of rentable lockers, and on the top of it was a coffee shop called the Fast Pack. In the middle of the room, behind the opulent Freddy statue, a defunct glass elevator resided in between the stairs and escalators to the second floor. Shame the mechanism looked broken, probably unfinished, given how nice the environment around it looked. In the back of the room were two elevators and a hallway ending with a set of double doors, with signage displaying the superstar daycare was just behind it. As Gregory walked forward to his chagrin, the elevator doors did not automatically open. This ticket doesn't even work. It says, good for entrance to the lobby shops. Upgrade options available at customer service. Also good for one free prize from Glamrock Gifts while supplies last. Ignoring Freddy's, admittedly cute, reaction to the free prize, Gregory couldn't help but feel frustrated at Fast Entertainment's insatiable greed. Clearly, the free entry ticket was a method to get people inside without paying, only to limit them by how much they could access, keeping the rest of the fun land hidden behind the walls and elevators at the back wall, enticing them to purchase a full ticket. Another illusion, another deception. How did a place with such obvious shady business practices ever make it this big, both figuratively and literally? Gregory knew the Mega Pizzaplex was massive, Mega was in the name, but the sheer size and scope of it all still baffled him. Reminiscing about what Freddy had said in the utility tunnels about the various attractions, he knew about Roxy Raceway, Monte Gall, Fazer Blast, and the advertisements on the various posters and plasma screens were any indication. Those venues were just the most popular of the locations. All of these massive attractions, all these resources and infrastructure to hold it up. Yet, if the relics of the past from Rockstar Row were any indication, the company was working poor. They had interesting characters and advanced robots for the time, but nothing about it screamed multi-million dollar enterprise. How is a company like that ever able to afford all this, given how it seemed to have come from such humble beginnings? Well, humble beginnings for Fredbear's Family Diner, and by extent Fastmore Entertainment, if you forget that the previous owner, Henry Emily's daughter, was found dead in an alley. No, Fastmore Entertainment's resurrection of the company had been liquefied had not been brought back in an earnest desire to rejuvenate the original concept of bringing fantasy and fun for children to life. Instead, like every single attraction, venue, and business setup in the Pizzaplex, it was all to siphon as much money from unwitting consumers as it possibly could. Many still remember the tragedies and controversy that surround Fast Entertainment's brand, but those wise old souls are now mixed with a newer generation who, if they even acknowledge the crimes of the company's past, care very little about bringing that company to justice. 
blinded by its bright fluorescent lights, exciting music, and energetic visuals. The Pizzaplex transported your weary soul into a land of pure spectacle, innate fun, and technological sorcery. Not that the masses could be blamed, Fast Entertainment had made an absolute certainty that their past was not only made more abstruse, but they even made their attractions for consumers to take part in. The events of the missing children's incident, the Funtime animatronics, the bite of 87, the death of Charlie, the crying child, Michael Afton, all of it was made a spectacle for viewership. Mixed lies with truth made the reality easier to swallow and become regurgitated as a fantasy. But even those who knew the truth, who knew what the company was doing was evil, they would still join their friends in going for a round of bowling in the Pizzaplex. What made so many people blasé about a corporation profiting from the death of children, let alone make light and mockery out of it? Like all things, it's best to go back to when it all started to uncover the pathway to truth. While Gregory goes and finds himself away inside the customer service room, allow us to go back in time. A time before the Mega Pizza Plex was constructed, a time before the development of the Freddy Fazbear virtual experience, and a time before Silver Parasol Games lost their good friend Jeremy. This is the story of how Fazbear Entertainment rewrote its history. Some kid spilled about a gallon of blue slushy over by the fridge aisle. Go mop it up, Snodgrass. No problem, sir. Meet Steve Snodgrass, around 40 years of age, college educated with a degree in digital arts, with dreams of working in a massive tech company or AAA game developer, creating games that would be loved by children and adults of all ages. Would have killed you to say hello first? Yet, here we find him. Boring clean solution to a bucket, mop in hand, at a gas station working for minimum wage. While he walked over to the spill and began to mop, he began to drift off to think how he got here in the first place. It wasn't particularly difficult to work on autopilot in his job, and he has had years to hone it by this point. For the past several years, he had applied for any position available to him, anything that he was remotely qualified in. But apparently Silicon Valley has no faith that an old dog can learn new tricks. He was consistently beaten by kids with expensive Ivy League degrees who had already completed internships or had friends and family in already prestigious positions. As he let his hand move the mop from side to side, his mind drifted from the negative thoughts of the past into the possibilities of the present. Just because he wasn't in some major gaming studio didn't mean he couldn't create his own works of art in his tiny studio apartment. Every night after work, he would spend hours before bed sitting in front of his computer and grinding away creating his own video games. His current project was a chip off the old block. It was a family-friendly fetch quest-based game featuring cartoony chipmunks. He was about halfway through the design, although his friend Matt thought that he could work on his character design a little bit. According to Matt, his characters had a strange uncanniness about them, giving the impression of dead-eyed animatronics rather than 3D cartoon characters. He was planning to fix it when he was originally interested in pitching the game to a publisher, but thought against it. It was his vision, and he liked them the way they were. If they weren't interested, he could try to bring it to market himself. He was already tired of cleaning toilets and internally sticky floors, and he needed to make a change in his life. Originally, he thought he could make a small difference in his life by joining a dating app. 
He had always dreamed of starting a family with a beautiful, smart, and kind woman, providing a comfortable home with two adorable children, preferably a boy and a girl. But dreams were one thing, the reality was another. And the reality is that men don't meet attractive women cleaning toilets. Excuse me, sir. Is Steve Snodgrass working with today? Steve currently was working on a distant relationship with a woman named Amanda. He had been originally drawn to her not because she was cute, but because she had an aura that radiated kindness. She was a preschool teacher, and when they began texting one another, she had always been considerate and patient with him and his schedule, and he made sure to always repay the favor. Their schedules had always conflicted with one another, so much so that they had only two real dates in the months that they had been talking with one another. But he was always happy to go to bed. His nightly routine had become fulfilled with their nighttime text messages. Excuse me, sir. Could you spare a moment? Steve drifted back to his game as he soaked his mop for one last wash. Perhaps he should add some form of crafting to the game. Character work was his primary concern. It seemed that indie games looked the best when they had a wacky ensemble of goofy characters with some form of tragic backstory. I said, can you spare a moment? Steve jerked up in surprise. Apparently he was so preoccupied with his thinking that he hadn't even noticed that man trying to get his attention right in front of him. As Steve finally looked at him, he looked him up and down. He wasn't the usual clientele he's used to here. Steve didn't know much about ritzy clothing, but he could tell this man's dark suit was expensive. It was spotless and wrinkle-free, something you would see a big wear wear in Washington. I- I'm sorry, can I help you? I think perhaps you can. That is, if you are Steve Snodgrass. I am, yes. Could you step outside with me for a moment? Oh, I don't know about that, sir. Uh, See, I just started my shift, so I'm not due for a break yet. I don't want to get in trouble with my boss, see? Well, if you'll step outside with me, you may find yourself working for another boss. And for a great deal more money. I'm afraid I don't understand, sir. Perhaps this will help. The man reached out and handed Steve a business card. It was glossy and thick. Steve looked down at the card and read Brock Edwards, Talent Acquisition, Fazbear Entertainment. It took a moment for the name Fazbear to ring a bell. Steve had gone to Freddy Fazbear's Pizza when he was a kid once or twice. It was wildly popular, at least around when he had grown up, but had suffered a downfall after a variety of criminal allegations. He had also read online that there was an assortment of paranormal stories centered around the brand. He was still puzzled why a man from such a company was asking for his name, but he had to admit, he was curious. Well, maybe I could step out just for one minute. Very good, Mr. Snodgrass. Steve led Mr. Edwards out the back door, standing next to the dumpster. The fumes of garbage were rank and sticky. It didn't match at all the luxuriously looking Brock Edwards. Steve had to admit his chiseled features were charming, and they smiled at him as teeth were a perfect row of marbled white. I can see by your reaction you are familiar with Fazbear Entertainment. I do, kind of. I mean, I went to the pizza place a couple of times as a kid. Birthday parties and that kind of thing. And also, I do know a little bit about the scandals, as they were. <sighs> Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people know about Fazbear Entertainment. Over the past few years, there have been a number of individuals determined to smear our company's reputation by spreading terrible rumors. And of course, the public dines on that kind of filth. And so, as a result, Fazbear Entertainment is in need of some rebranding. Okay, but I still don't see what that has to do with me. 
Brock gave another perfect smile, but this time it felt a little more sinister, a little more calculated and precise. Well, you are a game designer, are you not? An aspiring one, certainly. I guess you could say that. How'd you know that, by the way? You saw yourself short, Mr. Snodgrass. You posted two games online before. I thought they were rather charming. Oh, well, my thanks, sir. So, here is where you come in. In an effort to laugh off our detractors, Fazbear Entertainment wants to put out a line of video games based on the lies that have been spread about the company. Uh, horror games, to be precise. You mean horror games based on what people say happened in the old pizza place? That seems a bit distasteful. I'd even say a little cruel. Well, it's all in an effort to poke fun at the ridiculousness of all those libelous rumors and accusations. Now, we'd like you to develop a series of four games for us, Mr. Snodgrass. They should be scary, but with a little humor and edge to them. And if it soothes your conscience, I think you'll find the compensation much more generous than what you're currently being paid for, uh, mopping. Steve's face faltered. Job offering game development was his dream come true. But it felt wrong. This man has said that all these allegations are false, but why would he not say that? These were allegations of murdered children, for God's sake. Who would want to make that blood on their hands and dollar bills seem real? We'd want you to start right away, of course. We would fly you to a remote location where you'd have everything you need to work on the game. Plus, everything you need to live comfortably. A spacious condominium, a personal chef, and staff to run your errands and do your laundry. A home gym would be provided for you. If you choose to live that lifestyle... Well, now what's that supposed to mean? It means it's an incredible opportunity, Mr. Snodgrass. What do you say? We could give you Friday to tie up any loose ends. Steve had to admit that this was starting to get suspicious. This was the literal definition of a back alley deal, and he felt the dirt and grime were cleaner than the words coming from Mr. Edwards' mouth. Why couldn't I just make the games in town? Oh, no. The company was very specific about this. They don't want the chances of any leaks. Steve mulled it over. Leaving town was already a striking point because of Amanda. They hadn't gotten close enough to call what they had a romantic relationship, but he was starting to think that he really liked her. Was it worth taking a chance with Fazbear Entertainment, on company with as dicey as a reputation as you can get, to lose all he built with her? Sell his soul to stop in his work developing games that brought smiles of children to life? Develop a game with a world built on their corpses? I truly appreciate the offer, Mr. Edwards. But I just don't feel right about taking this job. The world's a scary enough place without adding more horror to it. And not to mention, I'd rather want to concentrate on more family-friendly games. <laughs> Do you mean to tell me you are going to walk away from this opportunity? Pick up that mop and go back inside? Why, yes, I do. And thank you for the offer. The next morning, still in his pajamas, Steve was pouring himself a fresh-brewed pot of coffee. A little caffeine and a small bite to eat, and he began working on chip off the old block for a few hours before his next shift at the gas station. His phone rumbled. It was unusual for a man to message him early in the day, but he still checked to see what it was. As it turned out, someone had pinged him on his dating app. Strange. It wasn't Amanda because she would have just messaged him through a regular text. To say his curiosity, he opened up the app to see a mess from a woman named Victoria. Hi! 
Hi, would you like to chat sometime? Steve raised an eyebrow. He clicked on her profile to learn more about her and audibly gasped when her profile picture came up. She had long, wavy black hair with a beautiful sheen that caught the light. She had big, doe-like brown eyes and a sun-kissed complexion. Her cheekbones were high, her lips were full, and she wore just enough makeup to accentuate her natural beauty. If someone had to describe his physical, ideal woman, her appearance would match almost one-to-one with his description. However, this was the internet, and he wasn't unfamiliar with catfishers. This could be a random photo of some model or social media influencer, taken by someone less physically attractive. But there was also a chance she was real, and, for whatever reason, she decided she was interested in him. His mind shifted to Amanda. She was nice, a caring person, and he seemed to have started to really build a connection with one another. But then again, they were in a very early stage of their relationship. He wasn't even certain that he could describe what they had was a relationship yet. Neither said they were exclusive to one another. Amanda could have been dating multiple guys over by this point. Well, sure. He sat back on his computer and started to launch his various softwares for game development. Right as he was about to phone settle in and get started, his phone pinged again. Hey, it's me. I'm glad you said you'd like to chat. Is now a good time? Sure. Uh, Anytime is a good time. Steve covered his face with his hands. So much for not sounding overly eager. I've never used a dating app before. I'm really more of a face-to-face person. Would you like to meet sometime soon? Maybe this weekend? Now, how? Sure. You could come to my house if you want. It's out in the country. It's really quiet. We'd have plenty of privacy to talk and get to know each other. Are you sure you want me to come to your house for our first meeting? Shouldn't we meet in a public place first in case I'm a creep or something? I trust you. How about Saturday at noon? I'll make us lunch. Oh, sounds great. As soon as Steve finished chatting with Victoria, he recalled that he had plans with Amanda that very same Saturday afternoon. She was an understanding person, though. She'd be okay with rescheduling. He felt guilty about it, but he told himself he'd make it up for her next time. day of the date arrived. Steve had so far been following the country road, turning off onto a country road and making a right to another country road. He was isolated, but he couldn't deny the appeal of it. It was beautiful, with rolling hills and trees and the occasional pasture full of cows. It was gorgeous, but he was surprised a beautiful woman like Victoria lived out here. Surely someone that lovely and charming would want to live somewhere she could be seen. His GPS directed his last turn onto a gravel driveway that led into a densely wooded area. The driveway ended with a cute house, small and modest in size, a white cottage with green shutters and highlights with a matching green front door. It looked more like a house for an elderly woman than someone more young and attractive. While Steve had his doubts, he nevertheless parked his car in the gravel drive, grabbed a bouquet of store-bought flowers, and walked up to the front door, giving it a knock. 
No one answered. Steve started to second-guess the situation. After all, he still didn't know if this was still some kind of trick. He gave the door another knock, and then tried the doorknob. To his surprise, the door was unlocked and really opened. Hello? Anybody home? Steve walked in to discover the house was completely barren. The white walls were blank. No curtain draped the windows and no furniture to rest on. While the house was empty, it was not silent. The moment the door closed behind him when he walked in, he could hear it. A soft hum was omnipresent inside the entire building. Steve thought his ears were ringing at first, but the soft hum continued to grow until it eventually crescendoed into a high-pitched whirling sound. Steve jumped and put a hand over his forehead. His ears, eyes, and brain all seemed to be throbbing. He lost his balance and used the entry walls to support himself. Steve! The horrible ringing had stopped and was replaced by a voice like velvet. I'm so sorry. I must not have heard the door. Steve was fully taken aback. She was even more gorgeous than her picture on the dating app had presented. She was wearing a form-fitting green dress, which complemented the specks of green in her brown eyes. Her figure was fit in tone, and she probably worked out a fair amount, but she was still feminine in all the places that mattered. Why? Oh, uh, oh, um, these are for you. How beautiful. <sighs> and thoughtful, too. Thank you. She smiled. Her lovely lips had no wrinkles, and her teeth were perfectly straight and white. She looked around the room, giving an expression that acknowledged how awkward the empty house must have been. I know, I haven't done much with the place yet. But with the right touches, I think it'll be really cozy. And for our lunch, I thought we could have sort of a picnic on the floor. We can put down a blanket. And I have bread and cheese and fruit and some good chocolate. Oh, that sounds nice. Uh... Steve? Is there something wrong? Before Steve could finish his sentence, the high-pitched scream came back again. This time he could tell it was something in the house, and this time he could tell it was mechanical in nature. He felt like he could hear the sound of radio sec beneath the ear-piecing whirling. He looked in the direction of where he thought he heard the sound coming from. A red light was flashing on the smoke alarm. He couldn't smell smoke, and it was clear there wasn't a fire. He reached up to try and disable it, but his fingers slipped again and he hit his head on the dusty floor. The ceiling above him spun and spun around like a merry-go-round, with the red light above him staying perfectly still in the center of his swirling vision, till everything faded to black. Into the Night, a Finance Freeze podcast. We'll be right back after these messages. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's your favorite music maestro, DJ Dan the Music Man. Give you spin a web of hits that'll keep you enthralled as you take on the new day. It's your time to shine, so take your life into your own hands. Steve opened his eyes. He was lying on the couch, but where? The layout of the small room was familiar, but when he had seen it before, it was empty. Victoria's house had completely transformed. Now there was a chocolate brown couch he was lying on, right next to a matching armchair. A coffee magazine was in front of him with a stack of fashion and tech magazines, and ahead of that was a large flat-screen TV and a few different game consoles of various generations surrounding it. The walls that had once been blank now hung with pictures of Victoria, Victoria hiking in the mountains, her lustrous hair looking beautiful as ever, Victoria suntanning in a two-piece swimsuit in a similar green color to the dress she had worn, and Victoria eating some mint chocolate ice cream on a park bench, looking adorable with a dab of ice cream on her perfect nose. Victoria herself came padding barefoot into the room, wearing jeans and a black-fitted t-shirt. Strange for her to have changed when she lost consciousness. Then again, the room had been empty earlier. Steve was hopelessly confused and disoriented. Hey, babe. You had a bad dizzy spell and kind of passed out on the couch. I brought you a glass of water. Why don't you try to sit up and drink a little? You know, I, I think I maybe need something to eat. In all honesty, I haven't eaten anything this morning. <sighs> Weren't we going to have picnic on the floor? A picnic on the floor? Oh, you mean like on our first date? Uh, our first date? But isn't this... <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm really confused. It's okay. It happens, honey. It happens. Sometimes you forget things. You have memory loss as a result of that car accident you had a few years ago. You took a bad hit on the head. Brain injury. Most of the time you're fine. But sometimes your memory just wipes temporarily. And then it's like... You reset. And you're all good again. Oh. But you say I always reset. So I always remember things again? Always. Steve nodded. The explanation was weird, but it also made sense. His sense of time was off. That must explain everything. So, you and I, we're together? We are very, very together. Oh, wait! Victoria got up and took off a picture on the wall and handed it to him. The photo was taken outdoors under an arch of flowers. Victoria stood smiling in a clay white gown and veil holding a bouquet of flowers that matched the ones decorating the arch. Steve was standing beside her in a tux, but the attire that was most eye-catching to him was his impossibly huge smile. It had to have been the happiest day of his life, but he had no memory of it whatsoever. You're so beautiful. It was a beautiful dress. <laughs> Not just in the picture. Always. You're always so beautiful. Aw, 
You're too sweet to me. Mwah. Victoria leaned forward and pressed her lips into his. It was wonderful, like fireworks. It felt like their first kiss. The next morning, Steve woke up to the sound of children chanting at the end of his bed. Two small kids, a boy and a girl, with bright smiles full of energy. They were jumping up and down, yelling the same words, pancakes. Daddy, wake up! Mommy is making pancakes! The girl looked to be around four and the boy around two. Both had thick black hair and big brown, green-flecked eyes. They were beautiful children, and he could tell they must have been his children, but he had no memories of pregnancies, births, or childhood prepping before this moment. He could even recall his kids' names. As Steve dragged himself out of the bed, his children took one of his hands each. They guided him to the kitchen, which he appreciated because he didn't remember where that was. As he walked down the hallway, he saw framed photos covering the walls. It was him, Victoria, and their children all the way from babyhood till now. The smell of pancake and sweet syrup hit him before he walked into the kitchen with his kids. Victoria was there, looking as beautiful as ever, even in her pink bathrobe with no makeup, and her hair unstyled. She was standing over a skillet, expertly flipping pancakes. After planting a kiss on her cheek and rediscovering where the coffee mugs were, he attempted to recover and reiterate information to himself without seeming too obvious. He waited for Victoria to say the children's names, Abigail and Avery, and repeated those names to himself. As he made coffee, he asked Victoria if they had any plans today, and she mentioned that there was a leaky faucet in the bathroom he said he would fix. He felt guilty for playing the part of loving dad, even though he felt like he skipped all the steps to get there. But as he ate the fluffiest pancakes he'd ever had, sitting around the table of children, his children, talking and laughing, he and Victoria sharing smiles to themselves as they watched them, did it really matter how he forgot? Just as long as he could continue to live in the moment like this? An hour after breakfast, when Steve came out of the bathroom after fixing the leaky faucet, Victoria was sitting in the living room with a distressed look on her face. We need to talk. Okay. This was in the mail today. Wait, what? The house is being foreclosed on. Apparently so. We've been underwater financially for a while. I really wanted to stay at home with the kids until they started kindergarten. But if I have to... I guess I'll go back to work. Let's not be too hasty. Do I have a job? Sure. You work at the gas up. Oh. But even with you working overtime, the pay there doesn't keep up with the cost of living. Especially since the kids came along. Well, I'm just gonna have to find a better paying job then. It would be wonderful if you could. Steve heard the car coming before he saw it. The gravel driveway always gave a crunching notice whenever someone was approaching his family's home. Steve looked out the living room window at a black, expensive-looking, shiny car pull again. Victoria hadn't told him they were expecting anyone when he had asked a few hours ago during breakfast, but given his memory, he could have easily forgotten. In fact, it was extremely likely he did. His mind immediately thought back to the foreclosure notice and thought it might be someone from a bank looking to sign over the documents to the house, to make the foreclosure and the loss of his family's home official. Kids, you should get washed up. Dinner soon. Your mom's making spaghetti and meatballs. Let's go wash our hands, Avery. 
I like meatballs. Abigail took Avery by the hand and walked to the bathroom hurriedly, leaving Steve alone to confront the man outside. He stepped out onto the porch as the car came to a stop. It was a strange experience. He had seemingly forgotten so much, but he could recall the figure that emerged from the black vehicle perfectly. The styled hair, the perfect suit, the clean, straight smile. He gave him a thick, glossy business card which read, Brock Edwards, Talent Acquisition, Phasma Entertainment, when they had first met. The man flashed those dazzling teeth at him. His smiling clearly didn't worsen with age. In fact, despite it having to be at least half a decade since he last saw him, he didn't look like he aged a bit. Neither did Victoria, as he recalled. Nor did he seem to look indifferent from how he used to present himself five years ago. Mr. Snodgrass, we've met before. Brock Edwards, Fazbear Entertainment. You have a good memory. For some things. Would you like to sit on the porch? We can go inside, but I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, so I can't guarantee much quiet. Oh, the porch is perfectly fine. Can I get you anything to drink? Nice tea? Lemonade? No, thank you, Steve. Since your memory is so good, I'm sure you remember the offer I made you the last time we met. I do. Well, we here at Phasma Entertainment want you to know that the offer still stands. Can I stay here with my family to work on them? But of course. We want you to work wherever and however you're most comfortable. Then I'll take it. Steve spent the rest of the evening with his family. After dinner, he and Victoria played a game of hide-and-seek in the living room. Steve counted down to twenty, and he and Victoria began their hunt around the house. Abigail was old enough to be a pretty good hider, but Avery could always be found in plain sight. His feet were always sticking behind the couch or hiding underneath the covers. Uh, This time, his hiding spot was behind a lamp. Where is Avery? (laughs) Where is Avery? Honey, have you seen Avery? No, honey. I have no idea where he could be. I sure do wish I could find him. (laughs) Avery! Where are you, Avery? (laughs) Daddy, I'm here! Ah, there you are. You got me! (laughs) I got you, Daddy! (laughs) Now you are such a good hider, Avery. Now I just need to find your sister. Don't rat me out, Avery. After their game wrapped up and the kids went to sleep, Steve and Victoria retired to their bedroom. Steve propped himself up on some pillows while Victoria laid her head on his shoulders. I can't believe you saved us. Fazbear Entertainment saved us. But if you didn't have the talent and skills that Fazbear Entertainment wanted, then we wouldn't have been saved. Therefore, you saved us. You're my hero. Oh, shucks. Steve had to admit, the words were kind and felt good to his ears. He was pleased with himself. He was able to protect his family, and he was able to provide for them. The couple held each other close, and Steve fell into a deep slumber. Steve heard a sound coming from the living room. A stomping, rumbling sound. An intruder? But the house was so far out in the country. It would be a surprise anyone would be able to find it beyond a delivery man. Steve got up and grabbed his phone. 
both the light and to call the police if he discovered it was a break-in. However, his phone didn't turn on. It was completely dead. But when was the last time he had used it? He was scared, but he had to protect his family. He grabbed a softball bat he saw leaning behind Victoria's dresser and decided to take matters into his own hands if he needed to. He marched into the living room, confidence surging through him to block out the terrifying thoughts, but when he turned into the kitchen, he did not see a thief, but instead he saw his little Abigail. Abigail was standing in front of the coffee table, bumping into it repeatedly. He looked into her eyes and saw they were blank. Sweetie, are you okay? Oh, hi, Daddy. Sweetheart, it's the middle of the night. You should go back to bed. Okay, Daddy. Abigail shuffled down the hallway and disappeared into her room. He peeked in to see Abigail already tucking herself back in. Avery was asleep with one foot hanging limply off the bed. It was a relief there was no intruders, but now an all-new fear protruded into his thoughts. What are you doing? <gasps> Victoria! Didn't you hear the noise in the living room? No, I didn't hear anything. And you know what a light sleeper I am. If there had been a noise, I definitely would have heard it. Maybe you were dreaming? No, it was real. When I went into the living room, Abigail was standing right there. She looked blank and weird and was bumping into furniture. Sweetheart, do you remember that the children sleepwalk sometimes? They get it from you. You'll be dreaming wild stuff, saying absurd things, and wandering all over the house. I even caught you wandering around in the yard one night. It's similar to your sleepwalking with night terrors. Fortunately, kids just seem to have gotten the sleepwalking part. I, I don't remember any of that. When did I start getting night terrors? You've had them your whole life. I don't remember that, either. Oh, honey, I know that it can get upsetting not being able to piece your past together sometimes. Especially remembering things about our children. But what is important is that you know now. So you don't need to worry. Come back to bed, dear. This is DJ Dan the Music Man. We've got heavy snow coming on right now. No time to go out and buy milk and bread. Just stay at home and stay safe. He's right! It's snowing! Yep, for the fifth day in a row. It had been a few months since Steve had begun working for Fazbear Entertainment, and he had been making tremendous time on his work. So far, three of the four games that Steve had been contracted to develop were becoming finalized. His games are based on the descriptions Fast Entertainment gave him. He had some creative liberties with the design and gameplay scenarios, but he felt the ideas they gave him were so outlandish that he stuck to the script entirely. The story of a night guard in a rundown pizzeria in the early 90s, which was easy since he had already had an idea of what it used to look like. But at night, the animatronic band that was the restaurant's main draw, they would come to life and try to kill the player. The second and third games followed the same pattern, except the second game would be a prequel set in a more advanced pizzeria in the late 80s, and the third and final game would be based on a knockoff horror attraction called Fazbear Frights. 
He made sure to include key details that Fazbear Entertainment demanded to be put in place, some of which Steve felt slightly disturbed by in their specificity. They wanted the game to have a backstory of ghosts possessing the animatronics, specifically the ghost of children. These children were supposed to be victims of a serial killer, of which he decided against giving a name to. And they had all possessed the robots in an effort to get revenge on their killer. He had completed all three games before the end of the year, but he fell into a rut with the final game. It was a nightmare to complete. They had only told him that the perspective of the player character had to be that of a child, nothing else. Part of him felt that he should have been excited that he was given so much freedom for his final game, and perhaps it was just him being so used to working on the directions given to him, but he knew there was something more to it. For the past two months, not only had the weather been consistently bad, leaving him locked indoors multiple times a day, but that damn ringing from his first time over had reappeared. Victoria claimed to hear nothing, but also told him that he had always said his ears rang after the car accident and that she hadn't hacked him before without seeing a doctor to check it out. But this was no normal ringing. It was internal. You could hear that it was mechanical in some way. And it was getting louder every day. And it was continuous, never stopping. Through sunrise and sunset, that ringing would drill into his ears and into his mind. The only place he found any escape from it was his office in the attic. He moved up there based on Victoria's recommendation, so the kids wouldn't distract him and so he could associate the second floor with work and the first floor with family. It worked too well, apparently, because when he was focused on his game, he could swear the ringing in his ears completely stopped. But not the mechanical noises. Working in the attic only amplified his suspicions that something was wrong with the inner workings of the house. He could hear the sound of sheet metal popping or chains rattling. Whenever he told Victoria about it, she always said it was probably just the children running around and smacking into the walls. The walls. They were another problem. His night terrors, the ones Victoria had reminded him about, had reappeared the moment he hit his design block. He would finish working late into the night, watch some TV before going to bed, and a few minutes later, the TV would cut off and suddenly tentacles would come out of a black sludge-like hole in the ceiling. He had been attacked by snakes, he'd been attacked by floating heads, and all of it seemed so real to him. It felt real too. When the snakes bit him, Mark would appear on his skin. His cuts and bruises were all there, but he couldn't tell Victoria about it. All she would do would assume that he was doing it to himself. But he knew it wasn't the case. Something was wrong with the house, and he couldn't understand why it was only affecting him. The night was now a calling card of dread and the worst of it all would be his children. Sometimes he would catch Avery standing still in the kitchen after he left the attic. He wouldn't look at him when Steve questioned him about it, but Avery would always respond that he was just thirsty and wanted some water. He could explain why seeing his kids in the dark made him so trepidatious, but he also could swear that the sound of metal, the sound of electronic buzzing, were always louder when he was alone with his children at night. But they were his children. He should never be scared to see them, to pretend he loves being near them. He told himself it was just the stress of finishing his contract with Fazbear Entertainment, or the financial problem, or the lack of freedom he had in a couple days of the snow. He told himself if he just finished this project, if he just finished the last game, maybe this nightmare would be over. Well, if Fazbear Entertainment wants something to be scared of, 
what better source of nightmare fuel than his own? He started to use his night terrors and his fear of the dark and use it as inspiration. The child's room he was designing, the double doors, the closet, the bedroom, all of which would be entry points by monsters that only allowed you to live because you were playing by their rules. He had nothing in terms of functional gameplay yet, but he knew it would come out great. Even when he was stressed, sleep deprived, and scared of his mind during the night, his games would always turn out great. Once he finished working for the day, Steve and Victoria cuddled on the couch with the radio playing softly in the background. Even with the music lowered, he could still make out the voice of DJ Dan. Even more snow tonight, folks. It looks like we're going to have a white Valentine's Day if this keeps up. At this rate, we might have a white St. Patrick's Day, too. Valentine's Day? He thought that it was only the start of February today. He'd been stuck in the house for so long that the dates had begun to blend together. He completely forgot it was Valentine's Day. I'm so sorry I've not been able to get you anything for Valentine's Day. There is no need to apologize. You can't go shopping for cards when you can't get out of the house. The kids are going to make cards out of construction paper tomorrow. Maybe you can make me one too. Just be neater with the glitter than they are. Cleaning up that stuff is a nightmare. No, you deserve more than a card. You deserve red roses and chocolate and a nice piece of jewelry and... Shh. You're the only Valentine's Day present I need. I have no idea how I got so lucky. I feel the same way. Hey, if, if you don't mind, I'm gonna change the station. Oh, don't do that. Uh, why not? What? That was what I was trying to tell you. It's hard to get a signal out here in the country. For some reason, that pop station's the only one we can get reliably. Oh, that radio station is definitely reliable. In fact, I don't think I've heard a different DJ besides Dan through night and day. Don't take this the wrong way, Victoria. But don't you feel trapped? No cell phone service, only one radio station, especially now that we're snowed in? Well, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't like to be able to go out to the store. But overall, I think being snowed in with you and the kids is cozy. Well, there's no one I'd rather be snowed in with than you. <laughs> I think I'm going on to bed. How about you? I'll be along in a bit. I want to finish a few things on the game before I head into bed. Alright. Don't stay up too late, though. It's bad for your health. Steve was shaky, exhausted, and in a dead panic most of the time. He didn't need to be told how to take care of his physical and mental health. But once Victoria had disappeared, he felt the wave of darkness hit him, and the temperature drop as a result. His safety net was gone, and the walls could tell. Scrapes and creaks of metal came from them. The ringing had been now amplified to the point it drowned out the music on the radio. He changed his mind. It was bad being alone right now. He wanted to go with Victoria, but he knew all this would go away if he started to work on his game as well. That was the only time in his life where he was truly safe, when he was working on the game. He had only one more to go, he just had to see it through. As he walked down the hall to the attic, he felt it pulsate. He looked up to see the ceiling buckle and flip open like a cardboard box. 
from the darkness above him, a spider the size of a basketball dangled just above him on a tendril of a web. He could see how hairy the black spider was, count its many eyes, and watch it rub its pincers intently. Steve was frozen, afraid to move or breathe. How could a spider be so big, and where had it come from? It was so massive, though, it probably had enough venom to kill an elephant. It landed in front of him and bent its legs forward. Its abdomen split open, and out of the opening fell hundreds, maybe thousands of small spiders. They all came for him and crawled up his leg all the way up to his eyebrow. He could feel them in his hair, under his shirt, and beneath his feet. He screamed and slapped at them with both hands, slapping himself all over again and again, hoping to squish them all. Steve? The spiders, they're all over me. Honey, I don't know how to tell you this because I know it's real to you. But I don't see any spiders. How can you not? Can't, can't you see? They, 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 they were here. They were here. I have to get out of here. I have to get out of here for a while. And even if it's just for a walk in the snow, I have to get out of here. No, it's too cold out there. And the snow's too deep. It's not safe. Steve was already halfway down the hall. The ringing in his ear had not gone away. It was unbearably loud, like a smoke detector designed to warn everyone the house was on fire. He stopped himself. He realized that was exactly what he had been hearing this whole time. A smoke alarm. It was the same thing he felt when he first arrived at the house. He looked up to see the smoke alarm still blinking red like it had all those years ago. He grabbed a poker from the fireplace and started to stab at it until it came loose and fell to the ground. He stomped at it a few times for a good measure. Until eventually, silence. Silence and relief came first. But then... Steve became aware that although it was finally silent inside his head, he was still surrounded by noise. And not just DJ Dan on the radio, nor was the usual scraping or metallic pulses he had heard in between the walls, or the electronic whirls when he was near his children. They were all mechanical, but out of place. It sounded like he was on the production floor of a small factory. He looked back into his living room to find the furniture to be all in order, but the floor now had tread marks. Instead of photos decorating the place, trap doors with hinges darted the ceiling and walls, all from places where he knew he had night terrors before. It reminded him of his third game. He was inside of amusement park's horror attraction after hours. The whirring returned, and it was coming towards him. He looked for a hiding place and ducked into the storage closet. He hid behind the coats and jackets, but left it open so he could see what was out there. Steve peeked out from between the coats. Standing in the living room was a robot. It was made out of pure steel with exposed wires and circuits. The only part of it that was faintly familiar was his face, which resembled a human with feminine features. Be here, because 
because your snow boots are beside the door. Where are you, sweetheart? At first, Steve thought, what have you done with Victoria, and why do you have her voice? But it didn't take long for reality to set in. The robot hadn't done anything to Victoria. The robot was Victoria. At the very least, it was what he had been calling Victoria for the past few weeks, or months, or for however long he had been locked in this nightmare. Steve felt bile at the tip of his tongue but forced himself to swallow it. If he purged, he would make noise, and he didn't want this creature to find him. The robot peeked behind the couch where Avery always used to lob to hide. Steve's mind rushed to his kids. The children were in danger of this terrifying thing they called their mother. He needed to protect them. Steve leaned out behind his hiding spot and felt his spine shiver. Children were robots too. Smaller ones with the plastic mask faces with wide robotic eyes and exposed mechanical joints. All of them began to search the room for him, looking behind curtains and under tables. After a while, they stopped using their human voices and began to search more aggressively. They sped around the whole house and even opened the trap doors to look inside. They were dedicated to searching every nook and crack in the house. It was only a matter of time until they would get to his closet. What would they do to him when they found him? Steve feared for his life. Looks like bad weather is going to keep on coming, so be sure to stay in and stay safe. Well, everybody except you, Steve. Steve, buddy, you need to come out. Your family's looking for you. Three times over, Steve. Victoria, Abigail, Avery, and the glory. You don't want your beautiful wife and children to worry, do you? The trio of robots left the room to search the kitchen. He knew he couldn't stay in the coat closet forever, but if he made it into the bedroom, he might be able to grab his car keys and make a run for it. He didn't know how well his car would run in the snow, but it was his only shot in surviving this. He darted from his hiding spot as quietly as he could, but he could hear the whirring of machinery again and could tell they were going back to search the living room. He switched his trajectory to the bathroom, stepped into the tub, and pulled the shower curtain in front of him. The sound of metal treads hit the bathroom tiles, growing closer, closer, and closer. In one sweeping motion, his robotic wife ripped the shower curtain from the ringers holding it in place. He was exposed. He looked at the blank plastic face looking back at him, and with strength he never knew he had, charged the robot and shoved it as hard as he could onto the ground. The force threw the robot off balance, making it fall backwards. Steve got to his feet and ran past his mechanical wife, who was already reorienting herself. He made it to the bedroom and shut the door behind him, only to hear it get caught on something. Daddy! He's over here! Steve leaned against the door with all his weight. He grabbed a wooden chair next to him and propped it underneath the handle to make it harder to open. But he still needed to put his full weight behind it to stop it from opening. And the door was the only way out of the room. How long could he hold out? He could hear the sound of all three of them outside, pushing and scratching at the door. He was tired, completely sleep deprived even before he knew the truth of what was going on. They would never tire. They'd outlast him. 
and they would get inside eventually. Steve, this is your buddy, DJ Dan the Music Man. Steve turned to his, his head to a radio now sitting on his nightstand. There hadn't been one there before. Had one of the robots took it when they left the living room? Did they know he was going to be coming here? I'm here to help you, Steve. You're not going to be able to keep holding that door, buddy. The arms are already tired, aren't they? Steve, do you remember when you lived alone in a sad little apartment, working for minimum wage and trying unsuccessfully to get a game off the ground? Do you remember when dinner was a microwave burrito, you ate alone, and how sometimes you'd be so lonely you'd go to the bodega and buy something random just so you could make some chit-chat with the cashier? I, I, I remember. Good. Now, think about how happy you've been since you came here. No one had ever had a more beautiful wife than Victoria. And then there's your adorable kids. You always want to be a dad, right? Have a little boy and girl? And it's great, isn't it? But it's not real. None of this is real. Sure it is, buddy. Everything you felt for your wife and kids, it was as real as it gets. You just have to give yourself permission to be happy. But the night terrors, those freaky things in the house. Those were not real. Those were just to inspire you when you hit a slump. Say the word, and they're gone. Go for the door, Steve, and I promise what's on the other side won't come in. You need to stop fighting this and let yourself be happy. How do I let myself be happy? It's as easy as pressing a button. If you let go of that door and walk over to the radio, you'll see a red button on its side. If you push it, you'll have everything you've ever dreamed of. The perfect woman, the perfect children, everything you've always wanted. Guess what? You're almost pushing mobs or scrubbing toilets for you, buddy. You're going to be one of the world's most successful video game developers. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of happiness for pushing one little old button. But it's not real. Reality is what we make of it, Steve. Make your own reality, and make it beautiful. All you have to do is push the button. Steve thought back to his days of mop pushing and frustration and loneliness. He just wanted to matter. He just wanted to belong. He just wanted to be loved. He never cared for money or fame, and what he wanted wasn't too much of an ask either, he thought. You can do it, Steve. You can live a life of bliss. Isn't that a beautiful word? Bliss. Steve moved close to the radio. He heard the door of the bedroom creak open behind him. He turned the radio in his hands and saw the red button. One push in his fantasy world became reality. And it was such a beautiful fantasy. Reality had never done him any favors before. So why should he have to suffer for it? He pushed the button. High-pitched ringing re-emerged and filled Steve's head. It filled the room and filled the whole world. He clapped his hands over his ears and went onto his knees. He looked up and the room started to spin again. Until... Everything was still. Everything looked... Normal. Then he saw Victoria. She was wearing the same green dress she wore when they first met. His favorite dress.
She was as beautiful as the day he met her. No, she was more beautiful now. Victoria? Sweetheart. She looked at him with love in her green-flecked brown eyes. She opened her arms to him. Steve didn't hesitate. He went to her. He wrapped his arms around her and pressed his lips onto hers. At that very moment, the world was pure bliss. His heart was full as it could be. He was so happy that he couldn't feel the knife piercing his back and going repeatedly through his heart. It seems Fazbear Entertainment is more dedicated to ensuring its relaunch will stick than initially anticipated. I mean, kidnapping a random tech nerd by fulfilling his wildest fantasy of a family? I guess I wouldn't put it past a corrupt institution trying to pull something like that, although I would assume they would use actors instead of robots, and they wouldn't have access to an audio device that emits a pitch that causes hallucinations. When Steve's games were released to the public, it would stir the mysteries of Fazbear Entertainment from urban legend into the internet horror phenomena. The games would get massively popular until, out of nowhere, Fazbear Entertainment would suddenly return and claim to take action by both legal means and creative advertising. That advertising being from creating their own video game in the virtual reality genre, one that would fully encapsulate the idea that every dead child, lingering spirit, and supernatural technology was nothing but a farce. Through the video game company Silver Paracel Games, Fazbear Entertainment announced the brand new VR game, the Freddy Fazbear Virtual Experience. No one would ask about the creator of the original VR games, and Steve's disappearance would draw no attention. Not from his online girlfriend, not his manager, no one. And when you think about it, that was probably the idea. During this whole story, did you ever once consider why Fazbear Entertainment wanted Steve Snodgrass? The indie game scene is massive, and there is no shortage of talented game designers who would be willing to work for the company. Beyond that, some of these developers would be younger, people who had no memory or knowledge of Fazbear Entertainment and the controversies at all. But no. They chose Steve. A man who develops family-friendly children's games. Because they weren't looking for a developer with talent. They were looking for a developer they could make disappear. One who had no immediate family left, and no prospects of a new one on the way. They were looking for someone desperate enough to put their trust in them, to not question why they would come to him with an amazing offer he couldn't refuse. Thus ends tonight's program of Into the Night. When we return back to the present within the Pizzaplex, will Gregory be able to find a way out the lobby? Is Vanessa still on his trail? And where the hell is Glamrock Freddy? All of that and more next time when we venture into the night. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us on our Patreon. It is thanks to those who support us that we can continue this show. This includes users such as Zanis Lothbrook and That One Boyo. Please leave a comment about your favorite moment and let us know where we can improve as we are always striving to get you guys the highest quality show possible. As always, I've been your host, Nick, and I would like to thank you all for once again listening. Have a good night, and drive home safe.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.